hands off and the clock has started. This is 20, 20 minutes you'll never get back. That's right. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prezak. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I also want to thank uh, our announcers. I drug back in two of our previous announcers, Alyssa and Hudson. What do you think, Graham? How did they do? That was pretty good. Nice job, guys. Well, there you go. You got a seal of approval from Graham. Now, if you want to be an announcer or you're actually getting tired of hearing Graham, it's very easy. Go to 20minutespodcast.com and it tells you how to do it. It's just just four seconds of your life. Uh, Now, here's the story with this episode and frankly, for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, You may recall back uh, to episode four. I did a show on Disneyland and at the very end of it, I had a segment called In Memoriam where I talked about rides that no longer exist. Well, a listener said, you know what? That was really interesting, and I would I would love to hear more. So I thought to myself, okay, I'll do a show on that. Well, here's the problem with that. Um, when I did the research, I came up with between 80 and 90 minutes worth of material that was just all too good to, to edit out. So I needed to break this up, and I thought, well, do I do one 90-minute show, or do I do parts? And I ran it past my executive producer, and she said, no, Doug, you've got a brand. It's 20 minutes. That's what people expect. Don't blow it. So this is now part one of Once Upon a Time in Disneyland. And in the next few weeks, you'll hear parts two, three, and four. Now, I apologize. Uh, this story is spread out over four episodes, but your 20 minutes are very valuable to you. And also, you know what they always say? Always leave them wanting more. So that's what I'm going to do. At the end of this episode, you're probably going to say to yourself, oh, man, that was really interesting. I wish there was more. Relax, there will be next week. Now, if you were born after 1990, then uh, <laughs> then you're really young. And two, there's a, a 95% chance you have never knew about any of these long-closed attractions. And if you're a baby boomer like, oh, moi, then you probably want to check out episode 14, Generations. And also, you possibly uh, either experienced these yourself or you certainly knew about them. Now, I'm going to admit, I have been on all of these rides or I certainly saw them in Disneyland. So I apologize for my personal references, but you know what? It's my podcast and I can do that if I want to. In part one, we're going to walk up Main Street and then after that, we're going to head over to Bear Country And believe it or not, that is the end of part one. So let's get started. The first thing you probably would have noticed on Main Street was that, uh, you know, men often wore suits and women certainly wore dresses, you know, with the whole pearl necklace and and high heels. And the the little boys had button up collared shirts and the little girls had dresses on. That's how people used to dress uh, when they went to Disneyland back in the, in the 50s when it opened up. Times certainly have changed, haven't they? Main Street has had some uh, storefront changes through the years, but it's really only gone through one major change. And I'll talk to, about that in just a minute. But first, a little bit of historical uh, information for you. If you go into Disneyland, look at the Opera House. That was the oldest structure in Disneyland. That was built first, and that was actually the lumber mill where they built everything for the rest of the park. Uh, Also, uh, you probably already know this, but in case you don't, Walt Disney had an apartment. Um, It was right above the fire station. So if you ever go to the park and you didn't notice, look at the fire station. Upstairs was Walt Disney's apartment. And you notice a lamp in the window. 
that lamp has been burning uh, ever since he passed away. They do not turn that light off in the window. All right, let's start right off with the controversy and the fan uprising. Now, the Walt Disney story, that was uh, the, the little tribute to Walt Disney, that opened in the Main Street Opera House in 1973, and it replaced Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. That was Walt Disney's uh, audio animatronic robot to, uh, it was a tribute to the great uh, emancipator and had been in Disneyland since July 18, 1965. The Imagineers thought that it was time for something new. They could not have been more wrong. Fans complained and in 1975, Mr. Lincoln was brought back. Now the guests were seated in the opera house were treated to a kind of a double feature. After the movie about Mr. Disney, then uh, good old Abe gave his speech. The long presentation had an appropriately long name. It was called The Walt Disney Story Featuring Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. The exhibits in the Opera House lobby primarily featured stuff from Walt Disney. In 1984, the movie about Walt Disney disappeared, and a more technologically advanced Mr. Lincoln replaced his predecessor, and the Golden Dream music uh, from the American Adventure at Epcot replaced the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Although some of the Walt Disney memorabilia remained in the pre-show lobby, for all practical purposes, now, the Walt Disney Story attraction from 1973 was history, uh, but the name survived on the marquee. Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln was considered to be an important attraction, almost a sacred attraction, but that didn't mean that guests regularly filled the theater. They, too, were busy running off doing all the exciting rides. Now, in 1990, Disney cast members learned that Mr. Lincoln was on his way out once again, this time to replace by a 3D film featuring Jim Henson's Muppets. <laughs> once again, the public cried foul and Disney surrendered. Uh, park operators said that Lincoln will live, at least for now, and officials were actually surprised by the outcry over Lincoln. A decade after the Muppet Show blow-up, there was finally a plan to make the Walt Disney story featuring great moments with Mr. Lincoln more relevant, up-to-date, and entertaining. On July 17, 2001, the 46th anniversary of Disney's opening, uh, the park celebrated with the grand opening of a new version of Mr. Lincoln. This time, Mr. Lincoln's speech was preceded by an audio show. You sat in the audience and wore headphones. Now, the theme park introduced the new and improved Abraham Lincoln, giving the 16th president a makeover with some new skin, a change of clothes, a new hairdo, <laughs> how do they know, and a new storyline that was enhanced by this uh, photos and this audio track you were listening through headphones. You're supposed to identify with a Private Cunningham, a Civil War soldier about to have his portrait done by the famous Civil War photographer, Matthew Brady. In this audio story, Private Cunningham uh, meets Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. He goes to war, he's wounded, and had his leg amputated. Yeah, that's some Disney fun for you right there. And all that took 12 minutes. And then Mr. Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address, although this Gettysburg Address was actually a compilation of different things Lincoln said because somehow that fit better into Disney's presentation. Now, the journey to Gettysburg quietly reached its end on February 20th, thank God, uh, 2005. The marquee letters on the Walt Disney story featuring great moments with Mr. Lincoln came down, but Mr. Lincoln went on vacation again. 
May 5th of 2005, Disneyland launched the 18-month Happiest Homecoming on Earth celebration, marking the 50th anniversary of Disneyland. The new show at the Main Street Opera House was the first 50 magical years. It was a film starring Steve Martin, who actually worked in Disneyland as a youngster. He worked in the magic shop. And anyway, it featured Steve and Donald Duck. Once again, the lobby of the Opera House was filled with all kinds of Disney art and models and mementos. And the plan was for a well-rested Mr. Lincoln to return right after the end of the celebration. However, guests continued to hear only Mr. Martin and not Mr. Lincoln through March of 2009. On February 25th of 2009, Disneyland uh, Public Relations announced that Mr. Lincoln would be returning. However, the Walt Disney story would not be back. When the uh, marquee sign came down in 2005, Walt Disney story went away forever. The new name would be the Disneyland story featuring great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln returned to the Opera House on December 18, 2009, and guests can still catch the film with Mr. Martin and Mr. Duck, but it's now on a smaller screen out in the lobby. A memo to the Disneyland Imagineers listening, just leave Lincoln alone. Okay, moving on up Main Street, when Disneyland opened in 1955, there was actually an intimate apparel shop on Main Street, and it featured the Wizard of Bras. The shop was featured in a Hollywood Maxwell ad in 1955 in uh, SoCal newspapers, but the Wizard of Bras shop did not last very long. It closed in January of 1956, just a year and a half after it opened. The glass and china shop next door expanded and took over that space. It's now called the China Closet. Now, there is a remnant, though. The Main Street storefront that once housed the Wizard of Bras is still there. It's the blue and white trim building. There's no longer a sign on the storefront, although you can go up and sit on the porch. Let me tell you, that's prime viewing area for a parade. That porch is still there. You just can't go through the door. Another name that's come and gone, but the building is still there, is the Red Wagon Inn. Now, the Red Wagon Inn was an opening day restaurant at Disneyland, sponsored by the Swift Meat Company. Now, although the Red Wagon Inn was designed by Walt Disney Enterprises, the uh, meat packer Swift Company developed and operated as a lessee. During Disneyland's first decade of operation, it was common for a lot of outside companies to operate stores and restaurants in uh, lease spaces on Main Street and other parts of the park. He, uh, Disney would have much preferred to control the quality of the show, but uh, he had very limited financial resources after building this massive park, so he had to keep with the lessees. On October 22nd of 1960, newspapers across America covered the wire service about a crime story involving the Red Wagon Inn. It was about the first holdup in Disneyland's five-year history. The bandit got away with $10,000. 25-year-old Richard Lowry of Anaheim worked as a cashier at the Red Wagon Inn, and he said he stepped out of the rear of the park's Red Wagon Inn restaurant to take money in a money bag to the bank deposit point. He said a man came up behind him, pressed an object in his back, and ordered him uh, through a gate of an employee's area and into a restroom. Lowry said he never saw the bandit, and the bandit took the bag of money and told Lowry to stay in the restroom for another five minutes, and the holdup man took off. Well, two days later, the Red Wagon Inn was in the news again. 
police investigating the supposed $10,000 holdup reported they found $9,600 in a linen closet of the restaurant. (laughs) It was determined that Lowry, who originally said he was held up, changed his story after a lie detector test. He was booked on suspicion of grand theft. You know, if you're going to steal money from the place, I would suggest, strongly suggest, you do not hide it in the same place. That's just my, my advice. The Red Wagon Inn served its last meal before an extensive renovation to become the Plaza Inn on July 18th, 1965, exactly 10 years after the public opening of Disneyland. The Red Wagon Inn was renamed the Plaza Inn, well, because... It's it's at Disneyland's Plaza, or the hub, as some people call it. Walt spent $1.7 million in completely redoing the restaurant, but but more importantly, he now owned the restaurant and could control the quality of the food and the prices. Several major renovations later, the Plaza Inn is still in existence, and it's been a fan favorite for more than 50 years. No, no, no. I absolutely do not have time for a break this episode. We're going to keep going. The last stop on our uh, Main Street historical tour is back at the railroad station. The Santa Fe and Disneyland Railroad, eventually Disney bought out Santa Fe, but they were one of the original sponsors. The attraction was conceived by Walt Disney himself, and he kind of got the idea because he had a rideable miniature train on his backyard in the Holmby Hills called the Carrollwood and Pacific Railroad. Disney uh, Railroad opened to the public at Disney's grand opening on uh, July 17, 1955. The railroad opened with two trains and two train stations. It was one of the park's top rides. At the time when the general admission to Disneyland was $1 and before there were tickets and ticket books, an adult train fare was 50 cents. The two trains might have looked kind of like restored antiques, but they actually were brand new. They were built at the Burbank Studios of Walt Disney Productions. A third train joined the Santa Fe and Disneyland Railroad in 1958, which was also the year that the Grand Canyon Diorama opened. The Fantasyland Depot, which is now long gone, and the Tomorrowland Station joined the two original stations at Main Street and Frontierland. Now, instead of having one train uh, operate out of one station and continue nonstop, it was decided that each train would stop at each station, which it still does today. The yellow coaches of the passenger train operated at Disneyland until 1974. Some of you may remember those yellow railroad cars, passenger cars. Uh, they, After the early years, they only ran on busy days or when another train was out for maintenance. Uh, It may have been a great-looking train. The problem was they were hard to load and took a long time. And also, the seats in those passenger cars all faced forward, and people couldn't really see the park, unlike the other cars they use today, which have seats that all face inside the park. The forward seat-facing passenger cars were especially difficult for people to see the new Grand Canyon diorama. Now, more than 50 years later, Disneyland Railroad is still a popular ride, Yay, it's my favorite. Um, There have been many changes over the years. The route of the track was changed in the early 1960s when they added New Orleans Square. And in the mid-60s, changed again to add a small world. With the opening of the Videopolis Station, thank God that's gone in 1965, which eventually became the Toontown Station in 1993, 
the railroad again had four stations. And of course, the scenery has changed along the way. The opening day locomotives of the E.P. Ripley and the C.K. Holiday are still operating today. On January 11th of 2016, Disneyland Railroad temporarily closed to accommodate the construction of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. A couple of the steam engines were um, stopped at the Frontier and Main Street stations so visitors could get a up-close look at uh, a train engine and chat with one of the engineers. The original Disneyland Railroad Roundhouse building uh, became a maintenance facility for the ride vehicles and other Disneyland attractions. That was demolished around April of 2016, again for a Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. The Disneyland Railroad reopened on July 29th of 2017 with a new route along the northern edge of the Rivers of America, uh, which was now renamed Columbia Gorge. And it features rock formations, waterfalls, and a big trestle bridge. And it also features, historically, the only left turn on the train line. Everything else is a right turn. After 1974, folks at Disneyland transformed the Grand Canyon observation car into the Lily Bell parlor car for VIPs. It's now painted red, and occasionally you can see it tacked on the end of a train. And if you're fortunate enough, it's a, a wonderful car to ride around the park in. I'm just saying, I rode in it. It was spectacular. Okay, the last stop on uh, this episode's history tour of Disneyland is we're going to go back to Bear Country. In the far back corner of the park, it's now called Critter Country. Uh, there's only actually one way into Bear Country, one way in, one way out. And that's where the Indian Village used to be. You'll hear about it in the next episode. Um, but when they open up Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, now there is a, it's a pass-through. There is a walkway back out of the backside of uh, Critter Country. There's a ride in there, uh, a ride. It's an attraction that was called the Country Bear Jamboree. Even though Country Bear Jamboree first opened in Florida, an earlier version of the show was meant for California, but not for Disneyland. The history of Country Bear Jamboree goes way back to when Walt Disney was still alive. As one of his final projects, Walt planned Mineral King, which he planned as a mountain resort on a site in the Sequoia National Forest. Walt was confident that guests would enjoy skiing and hiking and other daytime outdoor activities, but he was concerned that those guests would leave the property at nightfall and, frankly, taking their money with them. So he needed something to get guests to stay. Well, here's what happened next. Walt commissioned Imagineer Mark Davis, who is a very famous name in Disney uh, lore, to come up with shows that would keep folks and their money right there at Mineral King. Um, he said, quote, Walt thought that maybe we should have a show that had something to do with bears, Mark recalled, lots and lots of bears. So he went to work sketching musical bears and the personalities uh, that w might be bigger than their actual talent. Walt's Mineral King project was never built, but good imagineering ideas tend to resurface, hence Country Bear Jamboree was born. Now, again, Florida had the original version of Country Bear Jamboree, but the Disneyland version had twice the capacity of the one in Disney World. Also, the show started twice as often. How do they do that? That's because in Anaheim, there were twin theaters. They were exact duplicates 
duplicate of the cast, the animatronics, duplicate of the music, the seating, everything. That allowed for simultaneous performance in one theater and queuing for the second theater. The Country Bear Jamboree was the first new ticketed attraction at Disneyland since the Haunted Mansion in 1969. Now, Disneyland guests have been quite accustomed to a steady stream of new attractions since Disneyland's opening in 1955, and the attraction drought of 1970 and 71 was kind of unexpected. The reason, of course, is that Walt Disney Productions were sending all their money to finish the Florida project. Uh, Country Bear Jamboree required an e-coupon, which was the highest category of Disney ticket. In 1975, the Bears at Disneyland found a sponsor, Wonder Bread, and the 15-year sponsorship also included the nearby Hungry Bear restaurant. In 1986, uh, the original Country Bear Jamboree got it an update. It was a new vacation-themed show. The Country Bear Vacation Hoedown replaced it. The attraction got a new name. It was called the Country Bear Playhouse, and that was sort of done so they could keep updating the show without renaming it Jamboree every time. The Disneyland Country Bears were eventually evicted uh, by the star of the same species. Yeah, that little thing, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Having successfully evicted Mr. Toad from the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World to make room for the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Imagineers decided to do the same thing to uh, Swingin' Teddy Barra and Big Al. Yeah, the uh, hoedown closed permanently September 9th of 2001. Man, that was a lot. Uh, That wraps up Main Street and Bear Country. And in parts two, three, and four, we're going to get into uh, Frontierland and Fantasyland and Tomorrowland and Adventureland. We'll hear all the stuff that disappeared from those parks in the next few episodes. I want to thank you very much for giving me your time. I know I've gone way past my uh, my 20 minutes. Actually, I'm almost two minutes over. I can't believe it. I'll pay you back some other time. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes or a little bit more that you'll never get back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And all, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.